Hey, this is Brenna Blaine, and you're listening to Can I Say That? Hey everyone, this week on the show we have our good friend uh, Lindsay Kaler talking about eating disorders and diet culture. And before we get into the episode, I just wanted to talk about some statistics on the topic. Um, that 3 in 100 people have an eating disorder, um, that every 62 minutes someone dies in America as a result of an eating disorder. So for perspective, for every 3 gun-related homicides in America, there are 2 deaths from an eating disorder. Uh, which I'm really challenged by that uh, because it's not a small or a harmless issue um, and it shouldn't be treated as such. I shouldn't treat it as such. We shouldn't treat it as a small thing to the side. And it's not a well-engaged topic in the Christian community, I would say. It's not totally unengaged, but it's not nearly as engaged as I would say it should be. But we're encouraged by Lindsay's story, and uh, we hope that today's conversation becomes a more normal conversation and not a taboo in our culture. Would you identify yourself now conservative, moderate, or liberal? I think definitely moderate. I just want to say when I met you, it was like, hi, I'm Lindsay. I believe in young earth. Women can't, shouldn't do anything. And, and boo rock and Obama. <laughs> no, my song was Obama, no. That's, that, that was the whole song. <laughs> Obama, no. Obama, no. Why not McCain? Our hopes were in vain. <clears throat> no, I was the tiniest fundamentalist. I also wrote hard for purity culture. <laughs> I printed out an article. The, just the whole, <laughs> I wrote hard for purity culture. Is like it's like an oxymoron. Euphemized. Oh, you were right. <laughs> it's an oxymoron, sure. I think is what you were trying to say. But I printed out an article about how, like, instead of purity rings, it, like, took it a 15 steps farther. It was a charm bracelet, and every time you did anything with a boy, you had to give them a real gemstone that was like on the bracelet so like mm. first time you had hands with a guy you had to give them an emerald first time <laughs> you hugged a guy you had to give him this ruby the first time you, and it was like i remember it's like the opposite of a wana yeah <laughs> yeah you're losing all the jewels from your no. crown and this sex was obviously the diamond because whatever but like that that would be like your last charm just like hanging on this penetration <laughs> Yeah, sure. And I remember printing it out and setting it on my dad's pillow. I mean, like, this is such a good idea. They're going to think I'm so holy and I'm, like, perfect and they're not going to have to worry about me and they're going to get me this charm bracelet. And they didn't, which I'm very thankful for. What made you start swaying more to the left? Bible college, I think, which is super weird. Because where do you go? Or where did you go? Multnomah. Multnomah University. Yeah, which is still a really conservative university. Maybe, if you don't ask your professors questions. I think. That's I, that's true. I think a lot of the professors are more, I wouldn't even say liberal, because they're not liberal. Like, there are liberal Bible universities like Duke and stuff, but I think 
Multnomah has a lot of moderate professors, but you might not know unless you start asking them questions. Mm. Just because sometimes stuff doesn't come up, but I would go up to my professors all the time after class and ask them questions about everything. And I don't know. They just, like, I became more liberal at Bible college, which is something that doesn't usually happen. And there's, and you're like, okay... A literal seven days. I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> no, I, oh, I was like, if someone told me they didn't believe in, like, literal seven-day creation, that the earth was over six to 10,000 years old, I was like, wait, but are you still a Christian? Like, I just could not hold both things. I would be like, I thought they were a Christian. Or if someone said the word, like, badass, I'd be like, oh, no, I thought you were Ooh, saved. I thought you loved Jesus. <laughs> I, you know, I thought I'd be spending heaven with you, but I guess you're going to spend it with them. The sinners in hell. Spend it with hell. (laughs) Spend it with Satan in hell. Yeah. Oh, so you must have been worried about me. I think sometimes, yeah. I think I had to continue. I think sometimes, maybe. I was very concerned about everyone's salvation. Mm. So before we jump in today, can you give us like an introduction as to who you are and why you're sharing today? So I'm 23 and I was born and raised in Vancouver my whole life. I grew up in the church. I was also homeschooled, so like double whammy of conservative shelteredness. But I I wasn't like on like a scale of like jumpers to had a TV. I wasn't like that conservative of a mm. homeschooler. We were like more moderate. Like we weren't the rebels of the homeschool co-op, but we weren't like the ones that didn't know about Santa. Yeah, so <clears throat> that was me. And I remember growing up, body just being like a thing I was always super conscious about, specifically that I hated it. And it was just like a big part of my family's life. I had people in my family that dieted all the time and talked about it all the time and not even my immediate family but like extended family too and like my mom's friends and it was just like it was a like a very much a culture that I thought was like expected of me and so I remember trying to put myself on a diet for the first time when I was eight and it didn't go very well because I didn't know how to do it and I forgot because I was eight but that was such a constant of my life and I remember being super overly conscious and like hyper focused on food and what I was eating and either on the side of like I need to eat less or like I'm gonna eat normally but really worried that mm. people would say something about the fact that I was eating normally and worried that people were watching me eat normally and thinking like oh she doesn't deserve to eat that and then I remember my mom started having me go to the gym with her when I was 12 and it was a women's gym and they would weigh and measure you and you could like get a star on the wall if you lost a certain amount of inches or lost a certain amount of weight and I was 12 and my body was at a time where like I was starting puberty and like supposed to be changing and so my weight could drop really quickly mm. and so I would always get up on the wall all the women in the gym were like we're so proud of you you're doing so good like you're so awesome mm. and like yeah I was losing weight and shrinking my body at a time where my body was supposed to be growing. Mm. And that just became a pattern of my life where it was super praised and I felt like that was the moral thing to do. And being not dieting or not being the correct size was immoral for me. I started or I was signed up for a weight loss program when I was a freshman in high school because I again was like I hate my body and so my mom was like okay like we can do this and I know she absolutely was doing the best she could with what she knew and she was like I don't want you to go any on anything like Weight Watchers or Jenny Craig and so I'm gonna sign you up for this like holistic nutrition I'm doing air quotes because Mm. it really wasn't it was basically where they just like 
cut out every type of food and you could only have like a certain amount of servings of like vegetables and fruit and protein and like I couldn't even have carbs for like the first like two months or something you could like earn those back when you had like lost enough and so that gave me a really bad idea of like what was expected of me and again just like what my body needed to look like and how I needed to eat and when I was in that program it was explained to me that this was the way that I was going to need to eat the rest of my life Mm. and hearing that as a freshman I like I wasn't able to go out with my friends because like none of that food fit that very specific plan I had to cook everything at home because the it was such a strict plan and I have always been a perfectionist and so I was like I'm never going to cheat on this plan Mm. I'm going to do this plan perfectly because this will make me worthy and this will make me okay and so I ate in a really weird way and even then like it was so it was just so bad and it was so not healthy and so not a regular way to live like I remember being in the cafeteria and like asking my friends if I could smell their lunch because I was like oh this sounds like it looks really good and like Mm. I can't eat that but can I smell it because it'll be like I'm almost tasting it and that that was just like something I would like really normally do and then I would get out whatever super plain weird lunch I had made for myself and that cycle just continued for me all through high school and college um extreme dieting and over exercise too so exercise for me was always viewed as oh I can earn food if I Mm. exercise this much and I would do like tons of research and be like oh well these machines that estimate how many calories you burn probably aren't accurate and so I'm gonna like underestimate how many calories I'm burning too and then if I'm giving myself x amount of calories if I do x amount of exercise then I can eat however much more I can earn the right yeah even that language like I can earn the right to eat a piece of toast or like this dessert or even like a regular dinner Mm -hmm. that wasn't like a meal replacement shake or something I started drinking those and I was like 12 or 13 probably and it just became a really vicious awful cycle and just something I thought was my life and my future and Mm. what I had to do because that was just what was presented to me as this is what women do and this is what someone who is your size has to do the rest of their life and then at the beginning of 2018 um 2017 was a really hard year for a lot of different reasons at the beginning of 2018 you were hospitalized um because we weren't sure that you could keep yourself alive. And there had been a ton of other really awful things that had happened leading up to that, Um, watching you struggle and watching you be in so much pain. Uh, One of my close friends' brothers took his life. I had to sing at a memorial service for someone who was like the same age a week later who had passed away from a drug overdose. There was... I was struggling with my mental health. I had some other just other really random but horrific things happening in the lives of those really close to me that it felt like everyone was hurting everything was out of control there was nothing I could do and I remember when you were in the hospital I was staying at a friend's house or when you were in the psych ward Mm. because you were in Longview and I stayed at my friend's house because I wanted to be closer so I could come visit you and I remember they made me a plate for dinner and I wasn't hungry at all and that felt really good. Refusing that felt like, oh good. Like it was just this thing my whole life of like, I always wanted to be the person like, oh, I'm so distraught, I can't eat. Like I thought that was so, that was so alluring to me. Mm to be the person that like didn't have an appetite or like didn't want to eat like that was always the best and I was like oh my gosh it's finally happening like I finally don't have an appetite because I'm so sad this is amazing and I just leaned really hard into that Mm. and it spiraled really quickly within a couple days like it 
got to a point where I only let myself, I gave myself a number at the beginning of the day that I could eat. And then it became, I gave myself a set of numbers that I was allowed to eat different amounts every day for the week. And then it became, I gave myself certain days where I could eat and certain days where I couldn't. And it just spiraled and my life closed in and got really, really small because my brain just like shut off Mm. and I had no energy to do anything. I became a shell of who I was. At first it was just um, restricting food, like not eating. And I want to be clarified that I'm being really intentional with not saying numbers Mm. because that is not helpful. I think it glamorizes these really harmful behaviors and I think it can be really triggering. And so I'm going to use like x number or y number like in replacement Mm. of saying anything so i want to be really conscious but yeah so at first i just started restricting and i was always over exercising and spending long amounts of time at the gym and then i figured out how to start throwing up when i wanted to and so that became a part it wasn't a huge part until i went to israel and then when i went to israel i was really nervous about how i was going to have the energy to function or stand up or like walk from site to site because when i was at home i would have to like even getting out of my car to walk into class, like I would have to like rest in my car for a couple minutes to get the energy to like open my door and grab my backpack and go to class because I was still full-time at Multnomah and I was leading worship for Summit View and I was also working at Black Rock as a barista. And so everything I did in my life, I would have to like practice and prepare myself to try and act like a normal human being. But in Israel, I was, I went there for spring break for a class and I was nervous about how I was gonna be able to walk. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll shift my my eating pattern and allow myself to eat a little bit more so that I look normal to everyone, but then I'll just make sure I get rid of it really quickly by throwing up. And so when that started, that was introduced just a whole nother vicious cycle into that. And I know you had raised a lot of concerns and our friend Allie had raised concerns and eventually she had told my parents. And so around the time of like that spring break trip, there was just concern being raised and there was talk about me going to treatment and my therapist wanted me to drop out of college and go like in February or March. But I was like, no, there's nothing wrong. There's not a problem. Like I'm totally fine. And I remember telling you that all the time Mm. that there's nothing going on and this is very normal because denial is such a strong part of a lot of eating disorders. And I went to Israel is sad because I don't remember very much. And I finished college. I graduated. I don't really remember very much. I went to Europe with you and your sister um, to teach for Josiah Venture, a missions organization we would do there kids camp. And then I came home and the next day I was at a residential treatment center. Basically the whole time I was there, I really didn't want to be there. I didn't think I had anything wrong still. And that was what a lot of my my work with my therapist and my dietitian and in groups. Normal people don't do this. Like this is not a normal thing to do with food. And if this is a normal thing to do with food, if you think this is normal, like that's a really awful way to live. Mm. And that's not how you were designed. So I spent a lot of time trying to figure out just this way that I had been living for so long. And these ideas that were so ingrained was really unhealthy. So I was at a residential treatment center in Eugene for five weeks. Um, I think I could have been there a lot longer, but my insurance really didn't like paying for treatment. So I got cut and then I went to a day treatment center kind of by OHSU and did eight hours, seven days a week for a month and a half maybe. And then I did four hours, five days a week for about a month. And then I just did um, outpatient work, which is being with a therapist, being with a dietitian. From there, I think I had this idea like, oh, it's 
I don't, I don't know. A lot of the time when I was in treatment, I was, my therapist called it planning my relapse because I was just like, this isn't a problem. And I'm someone like these people do have a problem, but I look like this. And so I need to do this. Mm. I need to do my eating disorder if it even is an eating disorder, because that's just like what I have to do to be a good human being. And my body's a temple. So I need my temple to look good. Like all this stuff that was just very warped. And so when I got out of treatment, I wasn't really sure like if I was going to go right back in. But then at the same time, I wanted the freedom. And so I got a job in the field that I had graduated in. And I love my job. But even still, recovery is an everyday up and down, Mm. two steps forward, one step back, sometimes two steps forward, three steps back type of battle. I'm still in it. And I have a really good treatment team around me and still pushing through. Okay, so I think this is a good place to jump in and ask what is an eating disorder and what classifies one? And then is it considered a mental illness? Yeah, so like a quick, I guess, like sentence definition. This is from the American Psychiatric Association, but an eating disorder, eating disorders are illnesses in which the people experience severe disturbances in their eating behaviors and related thoughts and emotions. Mm. There's so many different kinds of eating disorders. So the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which basically just means it's how there are diagnostic codes for different diagnoses. That's how something can become a mental illness is if it makes it into the DSM-5, which is a reference material for mental health professionals. And there's a whole list of different kinds. There's some of the ones that I think people know more. Um, anorexia, which is restricting food, restricting calories. It's often associated with low weight, but I also know a ton of people, especially in treatment, the people that I've met that have quote unquote normal bodies or larger bodies that struggle with anorexia. There's bulimia, which is um, where people sometimes, it can be like a binge and a purge and a binge is like eating a large amount of food and an un- or an abnormal amount of food, then purging it, which can be throwing up, it can be using laxatives, it can be over-exercise, it can be lots of other stuff. And then there's binge eating disorder, which is the binge without the purge of bulimia. And then there's other ones like orthorexia, which is actually really common and I think it's it's harder to tell because it's like this preoccupation with like whole raw foods and mm. the whole wellness culture and the I don't eat processed foods, I only eat organic. I just a fear of foods that like what someone would consider like very very healthy. Mm. Just a preoccupation with eating very clean, which I don't even like the word eating clean because that implies that food is dirty, which food is only dirty if you're eating it off the floor. And then there's Exercise addiction, which is exactly as it sounds, over-exercise, compulsive exercise. There's something called OSFED, which is other specified feeding and eating disorders, which is just sometimes if you don't fit all the diagnostic criteria Mm. of one of the other ones, you'll go into that. And so that's actually like, that's a catch-all for anything that basically the DSM-5 hasn't gotten around to like changing a definition or diagnostic criteria to meet that. So like for anorexia, in the DSM-5 still, they have the classification that you have to be below a certain BMI, which BMI is BS. That's a whole other thing. And there's a ton of people that have anorexia that Mm -hmm. don't have a low BMI. My initial diagnosis was anorexia and I didn't have the low BMI to um, the diagnostic criteria. 
But my therapist was like, well, the BMI is BS, and we're trying to get this changed in the mm. DSM-5. So, But so the OSFED is like, can be catch-all for other ones. And then there's even, there's more specific ones that are more niche, but I think those are kind of the most common ones. Those are the ones I've seen in my treatment experience the most. To answer the question, are they a mental illness? Yes. I mean, if we're just looking even like objectively, they're in the DSM-5, which is the authority on what constitutes a mental illness, mm. like the ultimate authority for people in the mental health profession, um, people in the medical profession, that's just what it is. And they're a mental illness also because you can't tell by looking at someone, which I think is really confusing because there are eating disorders and there are people that struggle with them where you can tell by looking. There's the cases where it's really obvious if someone's emaciated, but most of the people that I met in treatment actually weren't emaciated. Most of the people I met in treatment, I wouldn't be able to tell just by looking at them. Mm. So eating disorders can affect any person on earth, any age, any gender, and especially any body size. Mm. Um, and I had a really hard time believing that. I had a super, I just did not believe my therapist when she said I was going to go to treatment and see people of different body sizes. Cause I had in my mind that I needed to keep, I needed to lose a ton of weight before I went to treatment so that I wouldn't be ridiculed. I don't know. I just had this idea that like, mm. I don't look like I have an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, and people are complimenting me on how good I look. So that means that I'm doing something right. Mm. And that means there's not something wrong. There's not something wrong unless I stop getting compliments and I start getting concern. And there, that's so rampant. Even people that are in emaciated bodies don't think there's anything wrong with mm. them. Like you're never, someone with an eating disorder generally never has a body type where they're like, oh, okay, now I'm sick enough. Like now I need help. That's, that never happens. But yeah, I think something that's really important is that you can't look at someone and determine, oh, they have an eating disorder, they don't have an eating disorder, they have an eating disorder, Mm. because the type that we have is, like, the very thin white girl, which is someone that can struggle, but any other combination of race, gender, body size, age, are people that I've met in treatment Mm. that also struggle. A question that a lot of people wonder about is, if a person is, like, would skip a meal, or if a person makes themselves throw up do they have an eating disorder what is the definition of being able to say hey i you have an eating disorder i'm not a therapist and i'm not someone with the education to diagnose so i don't know i just would say like if you're doing weird stuff with food then there's a problem people that have a healthy relationship with food don't do weird stuff with food and Throwing up after a meal is doing weird stuff with food. Skipping a meal, it's unfortunately like in our culture that's actually like really praised. Like, oh, like you have such self-control or like, oh, Mm. I'm being good. I'm not having lunch. But that's weird. That's a weird thing to do with food. Even though it's common, it's still weird. Exercising to earn food, again, is like a very common thing in our culture. But like all the research shows that's not good for Mm. our bodies. Like 98% of people that diet fail. And they aren't, let me rephrase, 98% of diets fail. The people don't fail, but it's often phrased as that by diet culture. And that 98% means within five years, people either gain all the weight back or what actually happens most of the time is they gain more because Mm -hmm. you really mess with your metabolism and your body goes into starvation mode and every body has a range it wants to sit at. And when you try and change that range, 
your body goes into self-protection mode and it wants to hold on to as much as it can weight-wise and food-wise because it's afraid you're not going to give it more food. Eating disorders are so, they're so nuanced and there's not like a, there's not a specific thing I can say like if you do this behavior X amount of times in this time frame, then there's a problem because if you did it one less time than that, there's still something weird. Like you're still doing something really weird and you don't have to live like that. So then I guess that leads to our next question, which is if you're doing weird things with food, Mm -hmm. a lot of people view having an eating disorder as a choice because you are the one partaking in the choices that you're making. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? I 100% used to believe that. I believed that it was a choice. I believed that it was a choice when I was doing it, which contributed to a ton of shame and guilt. And honestly, it's still something I wrestle with. I still hear the lie that you're choosing to do this. You're you're choosing this behavior that's maladaptive and harmful and that makes people around you sad. But it's it's not a choice because it's a mental illness. We don't say someone chose to have a panic attack. We don't say someone... I think it can sometimes be compared to OCD because there's the obsessive thoughts that are common to both eating disorders and OCD. Mm. And the compulsions that we both want to act on are different. But I don't think having OCD is a choice and I don't think having an eating disorder is a choice. An eating disorder is like having this voice screaming at you all the time in your brain and the only time it'll turn off is if you do what the eating disorder wants Mm. you to do. And so if I'm actively choosing to not eat something or if I'm running on the treadmill again when I know I shouldn't be or if I'm over the toilet throwing up or if I'm taking laxatives, like all of that, yes, I have an amount of agency in that moment, but also in the same way, I feel like I have no control Mm. over that. I feel like I have no choice and that's the only thing that's going to keep me okay because it's the only way that that voice in your head will shut up mm. for a second and it'll be back even louder the next moment but you'll have peace for five seconds mm. or a minute or maybe even three minutes mm. and it's wonderful on a more objective side eating disorders are biopsychosocial illnesses which means that there's three spheres of influence to know if someone's going to be predisposed to an eating disorder the bio side which is genetic predisposition people with eating disorders, they've studied people's brains and their brains look different mm. in brain scans of people that don't have an eating disorder. The psychology of it, um, the, your personality, your coping skills, your your thoughts, your feelings, your beliefs, all of it, that is different. And then the social part of it, which is your environment, your childhood, how you were raised, what your living environment is currently, your social situation, just literally all of it. And it is all of those things. And eating disorders aren't fun. (laughs) Like, they're not something that... Like, I wouldn't ever wake up and be like, wow, I'm so thankful I have an eating disorder. Mm. There were times where I'd get a dopamine hit, totally, because it's like a drug. And the brain of someone with an eating disorder is similar to the brain of someone that struggles with addiction. When you are malnourished, your brain becomes hyper-focused on one thing because it'll, like, cut out everything that isn't necessary for survival. And so the very thing that you're cutting out becomes the very thing your brain is consumed with. So literally all I thought about when I had my, when I was really in my eating disorder, when I was really malnourished, was food. I thought about food all the time. I thought about body and food and when I was going to eat, I would plan meals for like even days at a time. It's not fun. And I think even when I was younger, I remember praying for an eating disorder because I wanted that ability. And I think that just shows that there was something very wrong Mm. from a young age Mm. because that's not, 
I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Mm. It's horrendous. That's interesting that you say you prayed for an eating disorder because I think growing up in a Christian culture, there's this really weird view of eating disorders. And another question we got a lot of is, isn't an eating disorder this consumption of vanity? And if so, doesn't that make having an eating disorder a sin? Yeah, I totally hear that. And that was also something that I wrestled with a lot. And again, I just go back to like, the neuropsychology of, of it is there, mm. that it is different. It is not something that, like, it's studyable and measurable. And even though eating disorders can be really abstract and nuanced and confusing, going back to, that was something my therapist told me over and over. Because I was like, I'm just sinning. I'm just, like, a really mm. bad person. Like, I just really don't love God enough. And, like, I need to, I don't need to be in treatment. I need to be in church mm. because I'm really bad. She was like... Dude, your brain is different. Like, your brain does different stuff. Your brain is getting different responses. She threw research at me. She was like, you're not going to be able to understand this because you're too malnourished right now. But, like, when when your brain's back on, start looking into this stuff because the research is there that it is – it's not a choice. It's not a vanity thing. Mm. And I think – Something that further proves that is, like, the more someone's in their eating disorder, the more – at least for me – the more I hated myself. Mm. And there were times where I thought I didn't. There were times where I was like, every morning I would weigh myself and if the number went down, then I was like, okay, I'm okay. And it was like that thing of like, the voice in my head would be quiet for Mm. a minute until I had another, until like, I had another decision to make regarding food or until like, I would wake up so hungry and then I had to be like, no, you can't eat because Mm. like, you know, all this stuff. And the smaller I got, I wasn't like getting more and more pleased. It was like the smaller I got, the more goals I had Mm. for getting smaller. And there's, again, in my eating disorder, I did lose weight, but there's a lot of eating disorders where people don't lose weight or they even gain weight. But even people that are emaciated, they're never like, oh, good, I'm, like, I'm satisfied. Like, Mm. that was enough. If it was about vanity, I think people would get to this point where they're like, okay, cool, like, I look good enough. I'm going to stop. But... It never happens. Eating disorders are the most deadly mental illness of Mm. any mental illness. They have the highest mortality rate because it's not about vanity. Because enough is never enough. It's not something that you never arrive when your eating disorder is satisfied. That's an interesting application of theology to me. Because we would... I think there would be some that would sit with the idea of like, yes, it is vanity. But then when Mm. we look at reason... Mm -hmm. and we look at the way we relate to God Mm -hmm. and science, then we'd say, no, we have the science and the reason Mm -hmm. and the psychology to say this isn't really necessarily an issue of vanity or of sin. Yeah, and I think God gives us science. And this is like, whoa, controversial. Like, we do we believe in science? Yes, (laughs) because like God gave us brains that function. God gave us an ability to develop technology to study those brains. God gave us a curiosity to know things and to study things. I think that's how we mirror his character in Mm. a lot of ways. Like, I'm not a scientist. That's not a surprise to anyone. But there are people that are. And in that, they display the image of God in the search for knowledge and truth and to study something. Because God's a God of truth, and finding truth is a holy pursuit. So within this walk, where has God met you in the midst of your eating disorder? I think God is still meeting me. When Even when you ask this question, I have ways, but I think I, I will continue to see how God meets me here. But something that 
is so specific is that being in this brain with an eating disorder can be really isolating. Mm. There, I can just be sitting in a room with people, like, and having this, like, it's like a screaming match of, like, tons of voices in my brain. And the, I could just be sitting and, like, trying to talk and engage and laugh with people and be a normal human and there's all this chaos happening Mm. like all this noise in my brain and it can be really hard to explain and it's it's hard to articulate and hard for people to understand because it's just it, it is crazy and it's weird and it's not normal but I know that God understands mm. that. God understands the things that I can't put words to. The times in my life where I felt so trapped inside my head when I felt so alone even in a room of people, um, the times in treatment when I, especially when I was in residential, where I was away from everyone I knew, I was away from everything that I knew. I was in this house, I couldn't leave. My doors were locked at night. Everything was controlled. I felt so. It was absolutely what I needed, and it was good, and it was safe. But it was also like there were some moments where I was like, I'm alone, mm. and I'm in this place. And I feel alone in my brain, and I feel alone physically, and I know that God was there Mm. with me. I think eating disorders are not the only mental illness that can feel really isolating. I think that happens actually a lot with mental illness because it's something people can't see. Mm. And so someone can't tell by looking at you if you're struggling in that moment, or if you're having a good day or a bad day. They're not visually obvious and so it's easy for people to forget which is fine but it's you can't ever forget when you're the one struggling with it and so knowing that God meets me in the midst has been really helpful I had a very part of I had twisted a lot of theology unintentionally that matched with my eating disorder it was like you're a Christian so you need to serve others you need to not be selfish Mm. you need to die to yourself You need to not ask for things that you need because there's other people that have needs Mm. and there's other people that need to get their needs met and you need to meet their needs. And if you ask for your needs to be met, they're not going to get their needs Mm. met. And that's selfish. And that's not dying to yourself. And my therapist now for outpatient work, she's killer and the best. And she's a Christian, which has been really helpful. And she, I remember articulating that one of our first sessions and she was like, do you realize that Jesus left people on the shore that needed to be healed Mm. and went off into the Sea of Galilee with his disciples and took a nap? And I was like, what? (laughs) Um, Come again? There were people that Jesus could have healed instantly in, like he could have just like zapped them all and healed them. But he left people with needs because he knew he had a need Mm. that needed to be taken care of. Mm. He knew he was tired. He knew he needed rest. So he went off and took time with his dear friends and just rested and met his own needs. It blows my mind even when I still think about this because I'm like, A, I'm not Jesus. So it takes me a ton more time to meet a need much more poorly than Jesus would do it. Because I know when I'm trying to meet a need, what people really need is Jesus. Hmm. But even if I'm helping with the best of intentions, I am nowhere close to doing what Jesus can do. Jesus was fully human, fully God, and I'm just human Hmm. and so how much more i'm not god do i need to rest and take time and meet my own needs and so i think i thought at first my faith would keep me in my eating disorder 
and that it meant like I had to have it, even when I wouldn't have used those words because I didn't think I had an eating disorder, but I thought my faith made what I did necessary almost, that it has reversed it and given me ways to say that I actually do need to meet Mm. my own needs Mm. and that matters to God. Why do Christians need to talk about eating disorders? Because it is affecting Christians and people that aren't Christians. I think Christians need to talk about eating disorders because eating disorders point to a larger need. Like my eating disorder was a way that I coped with anxiety, a way that I coped with being sad, a way that I tried to get my needs met in a very backwards way, a way that I coped with my constant desire to be perfect and my constant thought that I wasn't good enough, a way that I tried to achieve and tried to be enough and be okay and be worthy. And those are all needs and things that people have even if they don't struggle with an eating disorder. Mm. But I, eating disorders are a lot more common than than I knew before and than people know. There's people in our churches that are struggling. There's people in your family that are struggling. And it matters to God because it's people that are hurting that need help. It's a social justice issue because there is so much about diet culture that influences eating disorders and there is so much fat phobia in our world and so much weight stigma and so much medical care that is denied to people in larger bodies and just all of this stuff that is not God's heart. Mm -hmm. Three out of every 100 people will struggle with an eating disorder. Everyone knows more, everyone knows at least 100 people. So three out of those 100 are struggling at any given moment. And so even over a lifetime, how much more? What that equates to is that there's 30 million people suffering in America alone from an eating disorder, which is a huge number and it's hard to get your mind around hard for me to get my mind around. So I I find it easier if I break it down into three out of a hundred because it sounds small, but then also if you got a hundred people in a room, you're like, wait, three of these people are struggling Mm. with the most deadly mental illness. It's crazy. And again, like I want to keep emphasizing that it's any gender, any age, any socioeconomic type, any race, any ethnicity, any background, because there's a lot of people that don't get treatment because they don't fit the stereotype. 20 million of the 30 million suffers are women, but 10 million of those are men or people that are non-binary. That's a, that's a third of yeah. people that suffer. And before treatment, if someone had asked me to picture someone in my mind with an eating disorder, I really would have pictured a very thin, young, white girl. Mm. And again, that is someone that struggles, but that's not everyone. Mm. And if that's who you're looking for, then you're going to miss a ton of people mm. that are in pain. Before we end, I am... positive there are people listening to this who are currently struggling with an eating disorder. What is some encouragement you have for them? Or what's something you want them to know? First of all, I want you to know that you are sick enough and you do deserve help and you don't need to do anything else to prove that you need help. You don't need to do anything to prove that you're sick enough because with any other illness, if someone's sick, they don't feel the need to let their cancer get worse or keep walking on their broken leg before they get help. And that's absolutely what I believe is you are sick enough. You do deserve help. It's cliche, but recovery is totally possible. Mm. And I'm not living in full recovery yet, but I have met people that are, and it's insanely beautiful. And that gives me hope. It's not going to be perfect. Like I said, it's 
sometimes two steps forward, one step back, sometimes one step forward, two steps back. But even if it's an up and down, you can still look back and remember like, okay, well, I was there mm. and I'm not there anymore. Even if where you are feels like it's, it's not great compared to where you were a week ago or a month ago, you're like, okay, well, when I look at where I started, it's still better. Mm. And you're not the exception. You're not, I told myself that all the time, but you don't need to do your eating disorder because you are too much of this or not enough of this. God doesn't want you living in bondage to this anymore. God doesn't, this is not how God made you to live the most abundant life. This is not God's heart for you. And there's no shame or condemnation because again, I still struggle and every day is really hard and I've slipped and I've, I will slip again. But you're not the exception. You're not the one person that, that can do it just halfway enough. An eating disorder is never satisfied. An eating disorder will never stop it good enough. It, it won't stop until it actually takes your life because that is what the end goal of an eating disorder mm-hmm. is. No matter what it tries to tell you, no matter if it's like, oh, it's, I'm, we're just going to make sure that you can be confident this summer or make sure that you can manage your anxiety or make sure that you feel safe. Like, it will never stop until you're dead, which is really morbid, but it's true. And the statistics are there to prove mm-hmm. that. You need help. Please get help. The International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals, IAEDP, has a chapter, um, if you're in the Pacific Northwest area, and they have a local chapter, and so you can find professionals that are eating disorder certified. And I would say you need to go to a therapist that's eating disorder certified. Because I went to a therapist... And my eating disorder says a lot of BS. And so I was telling her at first, like, I think I'm just doing this for attention. And she was like, oh, why are you doing this for attention? And which was like, not sure. I I wasn't. I I was sick. But you need someone that's going to call you on your BS and be like, no, that's your eating disorder talking. Like, let's actually get to the heart of it. You need to see a therapist. You really need to see a dietitian too. They take insurance. Don't just throw your hands up and be like, oh, well, I like, I don't have the money or I... I don't have the time or like it's going to affect every sphere of your life and it's going to get worse Mm. until you get help. For those who are listening because they have a loved one who's struggling or for those, if you're listening, I'm going to say this. If you're listening and you work with youth, you are going to come across this. Yes. So for those people, what is something helpful they can do when they come across someone who's struggling? I think you've got to talk to them. You've got to just call it out. Brenna, you did that for me and... Other friends did that for me, and I really, my, I hated it. I want to say I hated it. I didn't hate it. My eating disorder really hated it, but my eating disorder was, like, a part of me, Mm. and so it looked like I hated it, and they're going to deny it, and, well, maybe not. They might not deny it. They might have just been waiting for someone to say, this is, you're not okay, and I see you, Mm. and that might be all the permission they need to be like, okay, like, I don't have to live like this anymore, or they might be like, there's nothing wrong everything's totally fine this is very normal and if they say that don't write them off don't believe them (laughs) if you think something is wrong if you have a reason to believe there's something wrong there probably is Mm. they might deny it but just talk with them and be like hey i i noticed this and i feel this way I noticed that you do this with food and it makes me feel scared or it makes me feel sad don't go in pointing the finger but go in just showing concern Hmm. and care which if you're saying that you do care but sometimes we can feel so desperate that we want to come across really strong and accusatory 
and that's just not the right way to go about it. Eating disorders thrive in secrecy, and so when you're calling that out into the light, there might be a ton of pushback, but that's everything that is needed for them to get help. And I want to end on a super specific question, but it's because someone asked it and Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, because with you and I, this was a constant. So if you're really good Mm -hmm. friends or if your family with someone struggling, what do you say to someone around mealtime? Yeah, (laughs) that, oh yeah, that's the, that's a really good question because that's one of the worst times. I would say every person's going to be different, which is a hard answer. Um, I met, we talked about this in treatment sometimes when we would have like our families come and visit and some of my friends would be like, call me out and be like, you're doing weird shiz, stop doing that. But for me, I would die if someone said that to me while I was trying to eat a meal or not eating. So I think what's really important is to talk to someone not at mealtime first and be like, hey, what's going to feel helpful and supportive for you? Will it be more helpful for you if I say something to you in the moment? Or will it be more helpful for you if I pull you aside at the end of the meal and be like, hey, I noticed that was really hard. What's going on? Why do you think that was a hard meal? How can I help you? Mm -hmm. What do you want to talk about? I would also say, even if they're they are like, yeah, you can call me out in the middle. Don't do it in public. <laughs> because again, eating disorders are like very secretive and there's a ton of shame wrapped up in them. And so if they're getting called out in public, they're gonna get really defensive, really embarrassed, feel super ashamed, or I know at least I would. So I would say, talk to them before, figure out what feels supportive and they might not know. And so maybe that just means you consistently like, you're like, okay, um, I'm, I'm going to periodically keep asking, and if you think of anything, just let me know. Sometimes I, a lot of the times, I still don't know what to say. Mealtime for me is still super awkward sometimes and super hellish, and I don't enjoy it. I really hate it when I'm eating with people that I know know that I have an eating disorder, Mm. Um, and I've been public about it, and so at this point, it's like (laughs) the whole world, but specifically if someone like mentions it to me right before mealtime or something like if someone calls it out while I'm eating I get like so weird about it but for some people it's really helpful so it literally is just depends on the person and this is super important watch your language around food um even not around mealtime don't talk about dieting if you are don't say like don't tell people dieting is directly one of the biggest causes of my eating disorder. People have lots of different opinions, but I think diet culture is super harmful and toxic. And the statistics show that a lot of the people that have eating disorders dieted. So, and you never know who could be struggling. So I would, I would just avoid like, even if you are dieting, don't talk about it. Cause that's a kind of a really boring thing to talk about anyways. So then is people's before and after pictures triggering? Oh my gosh, yes, yes, so triggering. The things, I love when people share their stories. I think there's power in sharing your story. If someone is sharing their story and does pictures of when they were in their eating disorder, it's really triggering because for a lot of reasons, but eating disorders are really, like the comparison is super rampant. And so everyone, who has struggled is going to be looking at those pictures and be like, oh, like, well, I didn't look like this or I looked worse than this or I, they look worse than I did or like my, maybe mine didn't get bad enough and so I should get worse. Now also just reinforces that eating disorders have a look, that eating disorders Mm. are about weight um, because there's a lot of people that have 
before and after pictures of their eating disorder where they look the same or they were in a larger body before and they're in a smaller body now or they're in a larger body in both pictures or the same size body my i have pictures of me and they're not they're not like horrifying emaciated pictures and i will never post them because i think that's really triggering anyways but it just reinforces the idea that eating disorders have a look and have a type and also weight loss transformation pictures are just they're super hard and it just reinforces that fat is bad thin is good mm. it, that it is always ideal to be in a smaller body and even if people like I've seen people try and be like this isn't about the weight I was just really tired and life like then just post a picture of your face or like post a picture yeah. of like something that you can do now like if you are saying like I have the energy to run with my kids don't post a before picture just post a picture of you running with your mm. kids and talk about health because this is something that I've learned about a lot in treatment this it's called health at every size and it's the idea that weight is not an indicator of health and it mm. it does not mean it's often easily confused that you can be healthy at any weight which isn't true because if you're emaciated then you're not healthy but it, it does mean that if you are not healthy prescribing weight loss which is also prescribing an eating disorder to someone who was in a smaller body that's not what's going to help health problems if weight loss happens as a result of prescribed health changes cool then i guess that's where your body was meant to sit but prescribing someone to lose weight is the research doesn't support it it's really bogus science and it's not health like healthy or helpful and i think like i've seen so many people who are like really amped about a weight loss program and so they'll post their before and after pictures and then like six months later you'll like never hear about them talk about it again mm. because diets aren't sustainable. That's not how we were meant to live. It only works for 2% of people. And so I, then everyone walks away feeling like a failure and trying to just find the next diet program. Mm. Like, and it's not, I'm not trying to shame anyone that diets because I was there and I did it for years, but it's just really, it's really not helpful. And it and reinforces fat phobia and there is one desirable body type mm. and every other type is to be feared mm. and to be avoided and to be changed, which is just not how we were made. Okay, wrapping up, what are resources that you have for people that can reach out to? First, I would say NEDA, N-E-D-A dot com, um, which is the National Eating Disorder Association. They're super helpful. They do a ton of great stuff about informing about eating disorders, talking about how you can get help. They have a free screening tool online, actually, where you can take a quiz that they offer. Just see if maybe this might be something you struggle with. Mm. Like, if you're sitting here wondering, like, huh, do I have an eating disorder? Spoiler, you probably do, because... I think since denial is such a huge part of eating disorders, I think if you're wondering if you might, you probably do. Um, but that's also a really great way. You can go online to their website, and I'll give Brenna the link so she can post it. Um, you can take their screening tool. It's really helpful. Um, Psychology Today is a great resource for finding therapists. You can plug in your insurance. You can plug in your zip code. And specifically, you can plug in what you struggle with. And I would, especially for eating disorders, highly encourage you find someone who has a certification in eating disorders or who specifically specializes in it because there's a lot of bogus science out there and because there's a lot of misinformation and a lot of ways your eating disorder will twist everything and try to find any avenue to stay in your life so you need someone that's 
really well educated on how to spot that stuff and how to call it out. If you're interested more like the health at every size, um, if you search Hayes, H-A-E-S, anywhere online or health at every size, you can find information about it. I thought it was total crap for a really long time. Um, so if you're hearing me say you can be healthy at any size and you're like, that's not right. That makes me mad. And I don't like that. That's exactly what my reaction was to no judgment, but look at the research, Mm. do the work, examine it. It took me probably four or five, like extended one hour long groups talking about it in treatment before I finally came around to like, maybe I believe Mm. this because it is just so countercultural. There's also a video called poodle science that i'll send to brenna but it it does talk about how just body diversity and it talks about um explains health at every size in a way that's really easy to understand if you're struggling flood your social media with people that are recovery focused for me that's been really helpful um because it's a constant reminder even when i'm just mindlessly scrolling i'll have something come up that's recovery oriented and that's super helpful feel free to reach out to me i want to be there for people and I want to be someone that can help others figure out recovery, figure out what resources they need. And your at handle is at Lindsay B. Kaler, which will be on the Instagram. Yeah, on the Instagram and probably in the show notes and find resources. If you're just like a friend of someone who's struggling, I'd encourage you just be honest and ask them questions because I think the worst thing is when people try and tiptoe around it because When I've had people do that, it makes me feel like it's a really dirty Mm. and gross thing to be struggling with or something really bad that someone doesn't want to name. And so if you're like, how, how's everything going? Like, A, I'm not going to talk about my eating disorder because it's uncomfortable, (laughs) probably. Um, I'm at a point in recovery where I might more often, but especially in the beginning, I would Mm. have done everything to avoid it. And it makes me feel like you're embarrassed about it and you don't want to talk about it. So you can be like, hey, how's recovery going? Or like, if they're not in recovery, be like, hey, like, how has this week been for you? How is your mental health? Because if they're struggling with an eating disorder, they're also probably struggling with anxiety and or depression. Mm. They're usually very linked. And there's other treatment centers where you can also just call and like explain stuff. There's the treatment center I went to in Eugene is great. It's called Rain Rock. It's through Montanito. And then they have a treatment center in Portland um, that even does the four hours, five days a week. And so if you're like, well, I can't like quit my life and like go to a residential, like you don't have to. There's tons of different levels of treatment available. And you can also just call them and explain like, hey, this is going on. Do you think there's a problem? Mm. Um, You don't have to suffer alone. You don't even have, you don't have to keep suffering. You don't have to keep doing this because it's a pretty miserable life to be in an eating disorder and there's a much better alternative out there Mm. i love any excuse to sit down with you it's pretty it's a miracle that we didn't laugh through this i know (laughs) it's very heavy subjects i Mm -hmm. think that helped yeah we did good we sound i also tried to not look in your eyes too much because i was afraid i would start laughing (laughs) um just a reminder this episode is brought to you by conservatives who went to multnomah and are now moderate (laughs) because that's both of us yeah (laughs) Um, but thank you for sharing your story, for being honest and vulnerable. And I'm so hopeful that this media is going to make a change in, in someone's life. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll even say it prophetically, mm-hmm. I guess. So that's mm-hmm. a little curse. Amen. Oh, well, hey, we're moderate now, so. <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> we believe in the Holy Spirit now. It's Ooh. so crazy. Hey, listen, never mind. I shouldn't say that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for having me at your place.
Thanks for being on the show. And thanks uh, for coming over. I'll see you on the flippity flop. Hold your baby soon. Okay. Bye. <laughs>